Good morning, junior high. How are you doing this morning? Wonderful. Thanks for asking. I'm excited to be in God's Word with you this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand so we can get you one. Uh, we're going through the book of Daniel, which uh, Pastor Brad will actually wrap up next week. Uh, but this morning, I get the privilege to teach on one of the more well-known passages or stories in the Old Testament, and that is Daniel in the lion's den. Now, who has heard this story before? Okay. Who has never heard this story before, Daniel in the lion's den? All right. There you go. Uh, well, before we look at the background, let me just tell you this morning that God wants to speak to you, that God has a message for you, even if you've heard this before, that God wants to speak to you this morning. This won't be a typical children's book message, so don't tune it out because you've heard it before. Uh, but as Ryan taught last week, we learned that Daniel was given this high government position and was given power to rule next to the king, him and a couple other guys. And what happened uh, was Daniel was so successful and he had so much success that others around him got jealous. Uh, when you have someone of great success, you often have what? Some haters, right? Like you, you have some haters. If you're successful, maybe you know it in your own life. You got some haters in your life. Well, these were Daniel's haters. They were jealous of Daniel. They were jealous of all that the king gave him to be in control of. And in fact, the king stated that Daniel was so faithful that he wanted to make Daniel even more powerful over his co-workers in the rest of the kingdom. So Daniel's co-workers were so jealous that their jealousy actually drove them to plot against Daniel, to plot this scheme to actually kill Daniel. But they couldn't find any dirt against him. They examined his life. They maybe watched him for a while, thinking maybe he would slip up and they can, they can rat him out on the king and let the king know about his, uh, his lack of character. But they couldn't find such a thing. So they came up with this crazy conspiracy, right? They went to the king. They praised the king and they told the king, you are so great that you should make a law that everyone in the kingdom has to pray to you for 30 days. And the king, in his foolishness and in his pride, he agreed to this. He agreed to sign this law that if anyone prayed to anyone else besides the king in that 30-day period, that they would be thrown in for dinner, right, for the lions. Like, let's just feed them to the lions. So what does Daniel do? He goes, as he normally does, as was his custom, and he prays. 
He prays as he has always done. And of course, the, the officials maybe uh, watching him from the window or spying on him sees Daniel praying. He didn't make it a secret. He was out there praying just as he normally had done. And these officials go to the king and they tell the king. And the king spends all day trying to think of a way to get Daniel out of this. Because the king loved Daniel. The king, the king thought Daniel was a faithful man, and he signed that law out of foolishness. So all that day he spent thinking, how can I get Daniel out of this? And so these officials go to, go to the king, and they tell the king, look, this is a law that you signed, and you can't reverse it. Now, in this time, the, Persian, the Persians' law, you could not reverse laws that the king made. Once the king made them, you could not turn back on them. So the officials remind him of this, and this brings us to our text in Daniel 6, 16 to 28. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning, if you don't mind, which I'm sure you probably will, is we're going to stand together as we read this passage and we read God's word together. Not the whole time, okay, just as we read this passage. So why don't you stand with me? We're going to read God's word together. If you don't have a Bible, you can still stand and you'll find it on the screen. Starting in Daniel 6, verse 16. And it says, so at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. A stone was brought and it was placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles, the ones who actually got him there. So that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he cried out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the most living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lion's? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Wow. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. He wrote, peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. Why? Because he is a living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people 
He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we have read your word, we know that it is active and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword and is able to discern our hearts. So, Lord, would you do that this morning? Would you discern our hearts? Would you teach us? Would you correct us? Would you even rebuke us and reprove us as we look into your word? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just heard like this sigh of relief. Oh, finally, I get to sit down. So it's important that before we talk about this, that we understand really the cultural background and what is going on uh, with God's people, the people of Israel. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute that the U.S. was conquered by China. Yes, scary, right? But the U.S. conquers China. Uh, we were then forced to live where they told us to live, forced to eat what they told us to eat, forced to celebrate holidays of their tradition and not of ours, and forced to believe in fake gods, maybe a fake religion, and not our true living God. This would be similar to Israel's situation in exile. The nation of Israel had been conquered by the Babylonians, who had then been conquered by the Persians, and they were now under rule by this king. They were under different customs. They were under a different language. They were under a different religion. And in those days, it was believed that the nation, if it was conquered, that your God was conquered as well. The nation was often tied with their God, with their religion. So if a nation was successful, they would say, oh, their God is really strong and successful. So the author in Daniel shows us that even though Israel is in exile and is being ruled by pagan kings, that Israel's God is still sovereign and is still in control over the past, over the present, and over the future. Even though they're oppressed, even though they're under a different religion and a different nation, they are to remain faithful and confident that God's kingdom would ultimately triumph. And that's exactly what Daniel did. As Daniel, uh, as this law was passed, Daniel prayed to God and was faithful to God, even if it meant being thrown to the lions. <clears throat> Daniel is cast into the lion's den for praying to God and not to the king. And before they seal the den with a rock and lock him in, the king basically wishes him good luck. But notice in verse 16, that Daniel is known as a man who serves his God faithfully. And in this instance, even in the face of death, even in the face 
of losing his life, Daniel is set on, no, I will not pray to man, but I will pray to God. So this king goes back home. He's stressed out that he sent a faithful, innocent man to death. And he's so stressed that he can't sleep. He doesn't want to eat. He turned down his usual entertainment. In our day, he would have shut off his Netflix, right? He turned down the feast that he had prepared. He said, no, I don't want that either. And as the night passes, the king runs to the den to check on Daniel. Now, in that time, uh, kings did not run. It was very, very undignified to see uh, a king running. But it says that the king hurried to the den and Daniel says, my God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. The lions didn't eat him. I mean, that would have been nice enough, right? Like, I didn't get eaten by lions. Awesome. But it actually says that he didn't have one scratch on him because he trusted in God. Wow, talk about a miracle to be thrown in the lion's den and not to have one scratch from a lion. It wasn't like the lions had the flu. It wasn't like they weren't hungry, right? It wasn't like they were, these were vegetarian lions, right? Like they, they just didn't eat men. No, it actually says that Afterwards, the king throws the men who had wrongfully accused Daniel, and it says that they were tore apart before they even hit the ground. You don't hear that in the children's books, right? They get thrown in, and the lions tear them apart before they hit the ground. That is crazy. That is not okay. Daniel remained faithful, and God rescued and provided a testimony of the greatness of Israel's God. And King Darius's decree that he writes at the end is a testament to that. Let me read that to you one more time. It says, Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. He will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in, heavens, in the heavens and on earth. In the king's official statement, we have at least three reasons to trust the God of Daniel, and really three truths about who God is. Number one, God is the living God. God is the living God. Now, the king makes this statement because the gods that they served were idols. The gods that they served were carved images, and they were literally dumb. They were literally stupid. They were not able to move, they were not able to save, they were not able to have breath or move their legs. But our God is a living God. God is actually active in your life. God is actually 
actively moving in your life. He is not dead. He is not an idol. There's a significant passage in Jeremiah 10 that I want to read to you speaking on this. And it says, say this to those who worship other gods. Your so-called gods who did not make the heavens and earth will vanish from the earth and from under the heavens. But the Lord made the earth by his power and he preserves it by his wisdom. With his own understanding, he stretched out the heavens. When he speaks in the thunder, the heavens roar with rain. He causes the clouds to rise over the earth. He sends the lightning with the rain and releases the wind from his storehouses. The whole human race is foolish and has no knowledge. The craftsmen are disgraced by the idols they make, for their carefully shaped works are a fraud. These idols have no breath or power. Verse 15, idols are worthless. They are ridiculous lies. And on the day of reckoning, they will all be destroyed. But listen to this. But the God of Israel is no idol. He is the creator of everything that exists, including Israel, his own special possession. The Lord of arm, the heaven's armies is his name. Listen, no idol would have been able to save Daniel in the lion's den. Yet many put their trust in idols, right? I mean, we even do this today. Idols can be anything that anyone uh, or anyone that someone loves more than God, that someone treasures more than God, that someone desires more than God, or that someone or something that is enjoyed more than God. For you, maybe it could be a boyfriend, girlfriend, good grades, maybe the approval of others on social media, maybe a hobby, maybe your looks, maybe your Fortnite record, like that is my idol, maybe, could be anything. And listen, none of those things will be able to su sustain you. None of those idols will be able to save you or sustain you. And Jesus doesn't do competition. He doesn't. He demands our full identity in him. He doesn't do half this and half that. No, he deserves all of our affections and he deserves all of our worship. For good reason. There's nothing else like him. There is nothing else like the God that we serve. There is no other thing that is living and active in our lives like God is. Fortnite will not save you. It may entertain you for a season, but in a couple years it's going to be old news while the new game is the big hit. Yes, trust me. Number two, God is eternal. King Darius writes, he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. Kingdoms will come and go. I have a couple pictures up here. Um, one of the uh, 
the Persian Empire, uh, the Egyptian Empire, um, and what was the last one? The last one was the Roman Empire. These were all superpowers, not superpowers like you think of, but superpowers of the world, like they ruled the world. They had the biggest armies. They had all the money. They thought they were it. And now look where they are. They're in ruins. We read about them in books. Their palaces, their houses, the throne, whatever, it's all destroyed or it's sitting in a museum. Those kingdoms came and went. I think of Star Wars Legos. Um, every Christmas, my little brothers, uh, they get these Star Wars Legos. And, and I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but every Christmas, I spend about two hours building this Star Wars Lego, whether it's the Millennium Falcon or, or different uh, uh, battleships or whatever. Uh, even one year, I super glued all the pieces together. Yes, it took like four hours, okay? I super glued each piece together, and somehow it always breaks. Even the one I super glued, it just came undone. It just broke. It was destroyed. It was temporary. All other kingdoms are temporary. They're like that, that sand castle that you made at the beach and you spent so much time on, but when the tide came in, it was destroyed. It didn't look pretty anymore. Or your little brother and sister just did a cannonball on it, okay? That's just, that's what happens. These kingdoms come and go, but God's kingdom will never be destroyed. If you are a Christian here this morning, it means that you are a servant in God's redemptive act of establishing his never-ending kingdom. Let me say that one more time. If you are a Christian here this morning, it means that you are a servant in God's redemptive act of establishing his never-ending kingdom. He is our king and we are his people. We are a part of his spiritual kingdom as his sons and daughters. But one day we're going to be a part of his physical kingdom and we will be in heaven for eternity. His rule will never end. God will always be sovereign and in control over your life. He is now, even if you don't feel like he is, he is and he will be in the future just as much as God was in control of Daniel in the lion's den. God is sovereign and in control of your life today. Number three, God delivers and rescues. He clearly delivered Daniel out of the lion's den, and he is able to deliver you. But notice, God didn't save Daniel from the lion's den. He didn't save him from it, but he did deliver him out of it. Obviously, it's not that he wasn't able to save him from it, but he chose to deliver him out of it. But how often do we desire God to save us from something 
when God desires to deliver us out of something. Psalm 34, 17 says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Does anyone want it easy? Come on, we all want it easy. No pain, no trials, no hardship. We all want that. We want God to deliver us from those things, right? And in some cases, he does. But there are other times when God wants to deliver you out. Listen, instead of delivering you from, he wants to walk with you through those things. He wants to build up your faith in that time. He wants you to lean on him and cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Sometimes that is the better way to go. I'd rather walk with God through a trial than be delivered from one without God. I'd rather, let me say that again, I'd rather walk with God through a trial than be delivered from one without God. And I hope you do too. He's able to deliver us out of all those things, but most importantly, God offers deliverance from our greatest enemies, from sin, from death, from evil, and from judgment. In all aspects, listen to this, this is very important. All aspects of deliverance are available only through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. All aspects of deliverance, of rescue, of saving are only through the person and the work of Jesus Christ who was delivered up for us so that we would be delivered from the eternal punishment of sin. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's wonderful news. You've been redeemed. You've been taken from the kingdom in the domain of darkness, if you're a Christian this morning, and you put your faith in Christ, and you've been delivered from that darkness, and you've been transferred to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, where sins are forgiven, where we are sons and daughters of God. In closing, I have a couple quick takeaways just in case you haven't been listening the entire time. <laughs> Some of you wake up a little bit. Um, number one, testimonies matter. Your testimony matters. The king made that decree about God in response to seeing Daniel's faith and his faithfulness even in the midst of cultural pressures. It's definitely no different today, right? I know that you're all facing different types of pressures, different types of hardships, different types of cultural pressures, 
the culture, and maybe your surroundings are pressuring you to do different things. But your life under pressure matters greatly. Because it is speaking a message to those around you. When you are under pressure, it is delivering a message, a testimony to the people that are watching your life. And you best believe they are watching your life. If you're a professing Christian here this morning, people are watching you. It may be your parents, it may be your siblings, it's especially your siblings. It may be your friends at school, it may be your peers here wondering if you're actually living the life that you say that you are. But people are watching you. Your life under pressure sends a message. So live your life in such a way that when others see you, that they may be able to say the same thing that the king said. They may be able to say, wow, that the God that they serve is a living God. The God that they serve is eternal. His kingdom will never be destroyed. That that God that they serve is clearly able to save and rescue because they're not the same person that they were before. And I hope that is true in your own life. I know it is in mine. When my grandma... Uh, when I came back from a high school camp in 2011 and I had given my life to Christ and I had told my grandma this, she, she, was, she was happy, but she didn't quite believe me yet because I kind of grew up here in and out and I came down from that mountain and my grandma's like, sure you did. I know why you went to that camp because all the girls are there. And then I came down and I was like, no grandma, like I gave my life to the Lord. It wasn't until a couple months later where my grandma actually saw my life lived out. And she saw my life changed by the power of the gospel that she was like, yeah, he, he did. He gave his life to the Lord. Because my God is able to save and my God is able to rescue. And I hope and I pray that that is a testament in your own life as well. Number two, faithfulness yields blessing and persecution. Faithfulness yields blessing and persecution. Daniel remained faithful to God and his word and was put in a dangerous situation because of the jealousy of unbelievers. The same reason Daniel was thrown into the lion's den is the same reason that he was delivered out of it. Being faithful to God will have its blessings, but it will also have its persecution. Daniel's faithfulness is the reason why that the king raised him to that position, correct? But his faithfulness is also the thing that those unbelievers saw and were jealous and plotted against him so that he was thrown into the lion's den. Faithfulness yields blessing and persecution. You will get both. 
1 Peter 3.17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Listen, I think this is an important verse because some of you may be out there this morning and you're claiming that you're suffering for the Lord's sake when really you're in a situation because of your own sin. Some of you are claiming that you are suffering and you're in trial and hardship for the Lord's sake, but you're actually in that mess because of your own sin. Sin has consequences with it. Yes, there's persecution for the faithful that are faithful to God's word and faithful to God, but there's also consequences for living in your sin and continuing in it and habitually continuing in it and practicing that sin. So you may be in a consequence of your sin, not in persecution because of your faithfulness. And I don't think I need to tell you the difference between the two. I think you know whether you're facing something because you are faithful to God's word or you're facing something because of your own stupidity. It's just a reality, right? Like sin is stupid. Sin makes you stupid, right? Number three, we don't worship God because we're blessed, but we worship God because he's worthy. Gabriel said this in our exhortation of worship, right? We worship God because he is worthy. We don't worship God because we're blessed, because sometimes we're not going to feel blessed. But even in those times, we can come to God even in sorrow, even in depression, even when there is death and there is pain in your life, you could still stand here this morning and raise your hands and cry out to God because he is worthy to be praised. Because we worship God because he is deserving of it. Not because of what he does for us, but because of who God is. Daniel's life was full of hardship, but he didn't trust and worship God based on how well things were going in his life. By this time, Daniel was an older man when he got thrown in the lion's den. I think we imagine him to be younger, but he wasn't. He, he had already been through a lot, and this is encouraging because even in his older age, he was faithful to God's word. And he was faithful to worship God and to trust in God. But not because things were going well. He trusted and worshiped God because God is worthy to be praised. We worship God because he is a living God. He is eternal and his kingdom will never be destroyed. And more importantly, we can worship God because he has saved us. And he has delivered us from sin. And I pray you've experienced that in your own life. Where you've been rescued. There is a freedom that takes place. Yes, there is a war. There is a battle between the spirit and the flesh. There is a battle taking place. Yes, you are still going to sin. But there should be a battle within. There should be a conviction in your heart 
There should be repentance and confession after you sin. That is the battle that takes place. But there is also freedom. You are not slave to sin anymore. You are set free by the grace of God and by what Jesus has done for us on the cross. For the Christian, you are delivered and you will be forever part of God's kingdom for the Christian. But for the unbeliever, and I know there are some today in here, the life and kingdom you build up on your own will fade away. I promise you that. The life and the kingdom you build up, it's going to fade away. And those idols that you serve in your life will never satisfy you. You'll always be looking for more. And they will never rescue you the way that you want them to.